Amen. Well, how are we doing? Uh, Thanksgiving is right upon us. This is your reminder that your turkeys need to be out and thawing at this point. Um, so you may want to do that. Hey, we're in week three of our series called Whatever It Takes, and uh, we're going to wrap it up this week. Next weekend, we're going to start a series called Rescue. We're going to see, we're going to look at the, the coming of Jesus in a little bit of a different light, because how many of you know, thank God, that when Jesus came, and we celebrate that, that it was a rescue mission, that he was coming for us to, to save us, to give us life. And, um, but today, we're going to tie up the series in a little bow, and we're going to talk about whatever it takes to be a disciple. You can follow Jesus, but you're not truly following him if you are not a disciple of Jesus. And there's a big difference between knowing about Jesus and truly knowing who he is. And truly knowing who he is is a form of being a disciple or a student. So we're going to look this morning in Matthew chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll have it on the screens as well. But what we're going to see in this story, this is the calling of the first four disciples. Jesus is, is giving them his calling. He's starting his ministry. He just left from being tempted out in the Judean wilderness. And now he has come to the place of Galilee. Galilee. And he says this starting in chapter 4, verse 18. He says this, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were what? Say it with me. They were what? Fishermen. They were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets. They followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers. You had James, the son of Zebedee. You had John, his brother. And in the boat with Zebedee, their father, they were mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately... They left the boat and their father, and they followed him. A disciple follows Christ. I mean, you can't get any more simple than that, right? Follows Jesus. And this means that when he gives us a command, that we follow said command of, of whatever it is that he does. Now, I want you to notice that when Jesus calls these men, he's not calling them to follow the Torah. He's not calling them to do that. He's not calling them to follow some form of, of theology or some denomination. When Jesus calls these men, he is calling them to follow him. Now, studying the scripture is important. We all agree with that, right? Studying scripture, being involved in the scripture and prayer. But our first calling is to Jesus himself. And so when this invitation is given, he is calling them to follow him. This is a personal call. Because he, he seeks them out. He's walking. He comes down on the sands of, the, of the, the shorelines of Galilee. And he finds them. And I don't think it was by coincidence, by the way. He, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. knew exactly who he was going for before the beginning of time. That it was these guys were going to be called. This moment was going to happen. It was destined. And this call, this personal call, is one to share your life with Jesus. Matt, think about that for a minute. The call, the same call that these men received that day on that water line is the exact same call, a personal call that Jesus extends to us, to, to be his children, to follow him, to share our life with him. And he doesn't say, come follow me and we're going to study theology together. He, he says, come follow me. And there was a lot riding on that. 
Because you and I have the end story of what happens with these disciples. They will eventually give their lives for Christ. The only apostle not to die uh, through, through martyrdom would be the apostle John. They tried. It didn't work. And so they ended up throwing him on an island. So he got an island vacation um, instead. But the Christian life is an intimate relationship with Jesus. That's what it is. At its core, this is an intimate relationship with Jesus as we follow him and we invest in others and have them follow as well. Remember, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's, that's a form of discipleship. It is discipleship. Jesus says, the call is personal and it's intimate with me. I want you to follow me. I'm going to show you things that you've never seen. I'm going to say things that you've never heard. You're going to experience things that you've never experienced. But I want you to join me so I can show you what's going to happen. And so Jesus is given this personal call. And when we have this personal call, it's the same one to walk like Jesus walked, to talk like Jesus talked, to look more and more like Jesus every single day. So it's, it's the call that's personal. But it's also the call that he issues. And here's what you need to understand a little bit of the backstory. Never will you find in the history of all of rabbinical studies of, of rabbis and disciples Will you ever find in the Jewish writings, in the Jewish culture, you will not find a rabbi who goes and chooses his disciples? That's backwards. Because in the Jewish culture, a rabbi would be one that has distinguished himself among everybody else in the teachings and the understandings. And then what would happen was the disciple would go and choose who they wanted to study under. But Jesus reverses that. He gives us personal invitation. He, he flips the script, and he goes and chooses his disciples. And so when Jesus called you and me, we were not looking for him, but he was out looking for us. He was out finding us. And, and, and probably in a lot of your stories, the place that Jesus found you was in a pretty low place. You probably had written yourself off that your life was a mess and nobody would ever want to have anything to do with you. And why would God? But Jesus comes busting up in the middle of your dramas and your mess and your hang-ups. And he finds you right where you are. Our, our first calling as a disciple is to follow Christ. But your, your calling also as a disciple is to be formed. This is where people have a really hard time. Because they love the scripture and they'll read the scripture. But allowing the scripture to actually form us is a little bit more difficult. Because we're going to have to do some things that we're not comfortable with. We're going to have to do some things that uh, it feels a little weird or I don't fully understand it. But we've been called to be formed. Look what he says in Matthew 4, 19. He says, follow me and I will, what's that word right there? Make you. A better translation is actually to become. Follow me and I will make you. I will, you will become a fisher of men or one who will fish for people. It's interesting that word. Because this is a future promise of Jesus. Jesus has given a future promise that if you follow me, if you follow me, I will. So there's the promise. I will make you one who fishes for men. That, that I will turn your whole occupation upside down. We will flip the script on that. And I will give you a new destiny to go towards. I'm going to give you a new calling on your life. And, and so this word become means to form or to mold. Now, it's often uncomfortable to be formed and be molded, isn't it? Like correction. We don't like correction. I don't like correction. I don't think you like correction. There's a reason that we have to be corrected because we have to be formed and we have to be molded. 
And so this, this word of, of becoming in the, in the context of the Greek language is really gives this idea of giving birth. It's bringing something into existence that wasn't there before. Now, if I've learned anything about molding and being shaped, it's not immediate. It takes time. I mean, you ever watched people with pottery? Y'all know y'all watched the movie Ghost and you saw that, how that worked, right? It takes time. It's a process. The Bible calls this sanctification. Just because we, we accept the invitation to follow Jesus doesn't mean life is, is good. We're all, we've got it all figured out, right? When he calls these guys, they didn't automatically understand all the mysteries of the, of the scriptures. Matter of fact, I would say the only thing that the disciples were consistent with was their inconsistency. Would you agree? When you say that's often like our lives, that's the pattern of our lives, is that the most consistent thing that we're consistent with is our inconsistency. And there's this process. I, I think about it when, when I read this and it talks about them becoming and being molded. I have to think back to one of my childhood favorite movies, The Karate Kid. Anybody else? Like, you watch that movie and you thought, I can crane kick anybody that gets in my way. If a bully stands up, I'm going to fight. I've got it. And I love the movie, and I, I, I bet I watched it a thousand times. Even this week when I was thinking through it, I had to go back and I watched part one, two, and three for sermon research so I could get this point down. <laughs> because I'm all about the karate kid. I had the headband, and I would be the weird kid wearing it in Walmart. <laughs> right? Just wait. You never know. If a mugger walked in Walmart, I was going to be the guy. Crane kick, right? But there's something about the movie. You have this Daniel LaRusso, this lanky kid. And I know some of you are like, we watch Cobra Kai. That is not the same thing, just so you know. But in this movie, you have Daniel LaRusso, who's this lanky kid that moves into this new area, and he's being trained by the great Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi always had very little speaking parts in the movie, but the lines that he did have to say were impactful and would make you thought-provoking. And we often see Mr. Miyagi in the movie He's always seen trimming the bonsai tree. Notice that? Like he's always in the garage and he's just, if he's not catching flies with chopsticks, <laughs> he's trimming this bonsai tree. And the bonsai tree is pretty amazing. I don't know if you've ever studied bonsai trees, if you're into that kind of thing. Um, I'm not. I just, again, sermon research. But a bonsai tree has all of the same properties as big trees. Every one of them. And the difference between the big trees out in the field and the bonsai tree is its environment of what it's planted in. If you took a bonsai tree and you pulled that bonsai tree out of the pot, the pot and you planted it in your backyard, the roots would grow deep and the branches would grow big and it would be just as big as any other tree out in your yard. Every time I've ever seen them, they've been in this little pot in the store. Because the bonsai tree is conducive to its environment of what it is. Inside this pot, it cannot grow any more than what it is because it cannot take root any deeper. Its roots have gone as far as it can go. The branches have gone up as high as they can go. The container, the environment, if the bonsai tree makes it conducive to its growth. Now, what am I saying? What does this have to do with anything? Because there are many believers that are like bonsai trees. Like, God wants so much more for your life, but the environments that you put yourselves in are not conducive to growth. And you'll say things like, I don't feel like I'm growing. Well, what environment are you in? 
Have your roots really been able to take hold and go down deep? I'll tell you when that often happens is when you get uprooted from things. When traumas come into your life, situations come into your life, your roots have to grow deeper, right? And so we have this, we have this bonsai that, that is conducive to the environment, but with Christians, we're conducive to the environment that we're in. I hear people say all the time, well, I went to church, I didn't grow at all. Well, it's not really the church's job to feed you. It's the church's job to equip you. I can't tell you what to do Monday through Saturday. I can give you something. I can give you a start of the buffet. But ladies and gentlemen, we have an all-you-can-eat buffet every day of the week right here in front of us. And so if you're not growing, it's because you're not conducive. Your roots aren't growing down. You've got to get out of your environment and put yourself in a new environment to grow, to, to, to let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do. You have to align yourself with environments that if I put myself here, I can grow with my relationship with God and with other people. Because if you love God, you love others. And if you love God and you love others, guess what you do? You make disciples of Jesus everywhere, to every person. We have these environments. We, we call them life groups and D groups. Our life groups are small, intimate places with people that you like, I hope. If not, you probably need to find another group. And if everybody else likes each other but you don't, it might be you, but just saying. But we have life groups that, that are community pockets of community of people in our church. It's the way we take this big room and make it smaller. For you to be around people who are going to push you, encourage you, hope the best for you, going to tell you the truth, but also going to help grow you up. Like That's a way that your roots really dig down deep. And if you really want to dig down deep, we have disciple groups where we train you how to be a disciple and a disciple maker. And you really get your roots down because you start memorizing scripture. You start understanding scripture differently. You start holding to a higher accountability. We, we, we have to create these environments where we can be formed. While often it's not comfortable, but we are being formed and made into the image of Jesus. So you got to be formed. But a disciple is also focused on other people. There's a reason that this is number three and not number one. Because when you follow Jesus and you're being formed, you realize the gospel is way more than just for you. It's for everybody. Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you happy. Wait, is that what he said? I didn't think so. Come follow me and I'm going to make you rich. Okay. Come follow me, and I'm going to make you super joyful. All those came off of Twitter. Or excuse me, X. I forgot Twitter doesn't exist. No, what did Jesus say? Come follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. I'm going to make you become something. I'm going to put you in a place where your roots are going to grow down deep. Let me tell you, these disciples, you think they were 40-year-old men, but they weren't. They were teenagers. We're talking like 12 years old, 15 years old, you know, the ones that we still get permission slips off of to go do things. Jesus calls them, and then he puts them in places that they, they really have to sink or swim, quite literally, because he tells Peter, why don't you step out on here in the water with me and come walk and let's see what happens. He puts them in places to grow. He takes them to a place called Caesarea Philippi, where it, it was, you did not take Jewish boys. Jewish people did not go to Caesarea Philippi because it made Las Vegas look like innocent. It was super innocent compared to things that were going on there. And the first, first field trip that Jesus takes them on, he goes and tells the parents, I'm taking them to Caesarea Philippi. And it was there that he would give Peter the command that on this rock I will build. Whose church? 
My church. That's, we just got to remember that. This isn't about us. This is his church. And he says, if you'll follow me, he puts them in constant environments, constant environments to grow. See, in the first century, Jewish people would think in terms of pictures more than just words. They would see things. They would draw things out. And I want us, in the next few moments, I want you to, to see the picture drawings that Jesus is leaving us. I believe the Bible gives us breadcrumbs from Genesis to Revelation. Breadcrumbs leading us to the Messiah, leading us to the life that Jesus has called us to. And in this passage, what, what we want to do is, is see that Jesus here is clearly making a connection between discipleship and evangelism. I've seen some churches that are super evangelistic. They will go knock on your door. Doesn't matter what time of day it is. They, and, I, and I'll tell them, like, you come to my house at 7 in the morning, banging on my door. I'm going to read Proverbs that the man who waketh another man with a loud noise in the morning, may he be cursed. <laughs> and they will come... And they will knock, and they're super evangelistic, super evangelistic. We had 55,000 people pray a prayer. Uh, yeah, but 55,000 of those prayed to prayer, so you would leave their house at 7 a.m. in the morning. And then you have people that are like, yeah, we have evangelism, but we're all discipleship. We want to grow. We're so better than you. Our roots are so much deeper than you, and this is who we are, and you're not good enough for us. And I call it Pharisee. But then we have these churches that are super like, look at all the things we know, and then look at all the people that we tell. And Jesus is going, oh, my gosh, guys, you've missed it. It takes both. You, you have to have this... You have to have evangelism. We've got to share the gospel. And at the same time, we've, we've got to disciple people. The gospel is received through evangelism, and the gospel is lived out through discipleship. We can never be off balance with those two things. Well, I just disciple. Um, I'm pretty sure that was not just the whole Great Commission. Because to go and make disciples means I have to open my mouth. Well, I, I live a life like I preach the gospel with my life. You probably shouldn't do that. Because I've seen some of the things you've typed on Facebook. That's not going to work out for you. You should not live by deed. You should live by word and the things that you say and share Jesus. Because how will they hear the gospel if they have never... Anybody want to finish that? Heard. Heard. So the gospel is lived out through discipleship and received through evangelism. So when Jesus is going through Galilee, he finds these four guys fishing. This is their livelihood. This is their occupation. I do not think it was by accident that he found these four. I do not think it was by accident that it was at this time and this very moment that Jesus would find them. Jesus is in the right place at the right time because he's God and he knows everything. He knows way more than we do. So he finds himself here ready to have this conversation. Those guys had no idea what was about to happen. They're just going through the mundane of life every day. This is what we do. And at this moment, Jesus finds them. The Bible tells us very specifically that they're doing two different things. They're in two things. And what we see them doing in this passage is the very thing that they're going to be doing for the rest of their life. You ready for this? Y'all good? That was a question. I don't know if you, y'all ready? Okay. All right. Peter and Andrew, look at what the verse says. They were, tell me that word, they were what? They were casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen, just in case you missed it. This is why you cast nets because you would be a fisherman. And it says that they casted nets into the sea. Success for any fisherman is in the casting. My daddy used to say when fish, you can't catch fish if you don't have a hook in the water. Because I was constantly doing this. 
didn't like where it went. Oh, now it's in the tree. Got to get it back out of the tree. How, how many, anybody else lose like $10,000 worth of lures and trees? Is it just me? Okay. Um, success in fishing is in the casting. And they would take these nets and they would throw them out and they'd pull them back in and they would throw them out and they would pull them back in. But what does that have to do with Christianity? Why would the Bible tell us casting? Because casting is evangelism. Think about it. Casting the net for fish is synonymous with evangelizing with the lost. We take our stories and our testimonies and we throw it out there and we pull it back and we see what's in the net. Sometimes it's empty and we cast again and we pull the net back in. And every once in a while when we cast our stories of what Jesus has done and we pull that net back up, we pull people with it that are looking for something, that are looking for hope, that are looking for Jesus, and we're able to share the story. You throw the net out to the lost, and you pull it back in. And that's what he's telling them. In this moment, he finds them casting the nets. Now that's, that's what Peter and Andrew were doing, but look what James and John are doing. James and John, the Bible says in verse 21, they were in the boat with Zebedee, their father. They were, somebody say that word, they were doing what? Mending their nets. So you got one that's casting and one that's mending. Mending the nets meant that they were repairing the nets. It was vital. You can't have holes in your nets. If you have a hole in your net, things will get through. So every time they would go out at night, they would fish at night because the fish could see the nets during the day. So they would fish at night and they would bring the net back in and they would look for any holes in it and they would mend it to repair that which was broken. It was vital. And in order to be an effective fisherman, you have to be able to know how to mend these nets. Mending is discipleship. Oh, Jesus is showing us something here. He's showing discipleship, and he's showing evangelism. There's a connection. There's definitely a connection between casting and repairing. Because that word repairing actually means this, to equip. You've seen that word pop up in the Bible a few times? Let me help you. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we, we probably know this verse, but it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the men of God may be complete. And you ready? Say the word with me. Equipped for every good work. And then Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 4, and it says, He gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to what? Say it again. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. To equip is to repair and to mend and to fix. Isn't that what discipleship is? I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to share Christ with you. And you can disciple and evangelize at the same time. Because you're going to disciple people far before they accept Christ. Because they've got they got to get into it. They've got some questions. They've got some concerns. They, they're not really sure what's going on. You have these two sets of brothers evangelizing the lost and discipling the saints for ministry. Jesus is telling that Christianity is not about you just sitting in the boat. You know, in every church, you have three groups. Every church in America, three groups. You have passengers that are just alone for the ride, and we need passengers. We love you. I want you here. You have pastors. We, we appreciate it, and we sit, and we love it. You have pirates. Pirates come and try to hijack the vision of churches. And then you have the crew who is doing the mending and repairing and the fixing. 
with the people, the disciples. And, and this invitation that Jesus has given to these guys is the rest of their life of evangelizing and discipling, ministering, reaching the lost, sharing the gospel, sharing your story, and understanding that you don't have to have it figured out. Did you see that one of the guys here was Peter? Do we need to go down Peter's resume of things he did wrong before he did anything that he got right? I mean, chops a guy's ear off after Jesus had said, blessed are the peacemakers. Oh, that must mean chop a guy's ear off with a sword. That must mean what that is, right? He had, Peter had tons of failures before it finally kicked in. And even when it kicked in, he still didn't have it all. I mean, we can go through Andrew the same way. We can go through James and John. I mean, they had nicknames called the Sons of Thunder. Anybody else relate? And, and this is the people that Jesus called. He did not go to the synagogue and call them. He did not go to the church and call them. He went to the place, the fishermen were one of the lowest job occupations on the list. You had shepherds, which we'll talk about during Christmas, and you had fishermen. That, that was not a very lovely job. And there was a, by the way, there is a synagogue, a really big synagogue, just a few hundred yards away from where he calls them to be his disciples. And he could have got every person that knew the Torah in there. But he goes to where the least of these are found because Jesus always finds his disciples, the marginalized and the downtrodden. So he's calling to this adventure to fulfill the Great Commission. I like to say it this way. I heard it put this way, that the gospel came to you because it was headed to somebody else. The gospel came to us, and there's somebody else that is going to hear it from us. So we need to be willing to share our story and to disciple and walk people through this. A disciple also forsakes everything. Isn't that a whatever-it-takes attitude? I will give anything and everything I have if it means that Jesus will be glorified. A disciple forsakes everything. In verse 22, he says, and, and this is a key word, immediately. Immediately, he said, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. And you know what's interesting about this passage? Nowhere in it do we see that Zebedee had to file for bankruptcy from his fishing business. God had already taken care of that. But it was the, the understanding that immediately... <coughs> they would leave their nets. Now you have to ask the question, if this is all they've ever known and they were to take over their father's business, why? Why were they able and willing to immediately walk away from everything that they've ever known? And, and to answer that question, to answer the question of why were they willing to walk away from the future to follow Jesus, we have to have an understanding of the Jewish educational system. Now, I'm, I don't want to lose you here, but this is, this is important, and I think it's also intriguing as you walk through the scriptures to understand this. There are three levels of education in the Jewish system. The first one is this. It's called Bet Shefer. It is the house of the book, all right? So everybody from ages 6 to 10, boys and girls, would go to school, and what they would study, we study math and sciences and whatever else that we study. In here, they studied the book, the Torah. That's, that was their understanding. They would study the first five books of the Bible. And the, by the time that they were 10 years old, they had memorized all of the Torah. Did you catch me on that? I can hardly remember my cell phone number. And they remembered the entire first five books of the Bible from memory, quoting it, could argue it with you. They knew it. And 
most Jewish kids were pretty, pretty much well finished at the age of 10. They were done with school. So if you're 10 years old, you would be done right now with school in this. And what would happen is when you finished, some kids, uh, women would go home and they would become uh, housewives and, and, and learn the, what they would do in their role in the home. And then the guys would take over the father's business. So whatever that business was. So let me ask you this question. Andrew, Peter, James, and John, what were they doing? Okay, why? They were done, right? They were done. They were done with school. If you were good enough, you got to go to that next level of education. If. I mean, you had to be able to memorize the scriptures to do it. But you would go to what they would call Bet Talmud. And this meant a house of learning. Here, between the ages of six years, uh, the ages of 10 and 12, they would learn how to interpret the scripture. Like, not just memorize it, but what does this mean? What did Jesus mean when he said this? What did, what did the prophets mean when they said this? And they would learn how to interpret. They, they would learn how to, to take these Hebrew scriptures, which we, would, we call the Old Testament, and they would memorize all of them, and then they would learn how to ask questions. I want you to pay attention to something in the Gospels. Look at how many times Jesus asked questions versus answering questions. He asked way more questions than he ever answered. That's weird for us, right? Because I ask you two plus two is... All right, some of you didn't seem confident. But that's just a question. But in the Jewish culture, you wouldn't have answered for You would have reversed that into a question. They were learning how to interpret these scriptures. And then this is why you find Jesus in Luke chapter 2. Remember, Mary and Joseph had one job to raise the Son of God, and they left him in Jerusalem. Like you felt bad for leaving your kid in Walmart that one time and had to go back. They left their kid in Jerusalem, and it was a few days before they realized that they had left him. And they went back, and what is Jesus doing? He's teaching in the temple. He is interpreting and telling them the scriptures, because Jesus also has been through this educational system. The only thing is, I believe that Jesus never made it past the first one, the house of the book. Here's why. Because Jesus was a what? What was his job? A carpenter. Better terminology in the Greek is a tecton. He was a stonemason. So he just went to take over his father's business. Okay? So, at 12 years old, if you were good, I mean the best of the best, you would now be a part of what they would call Bet Midrash. This is house of study. I'm going to tie all this together for you in just a minute. This was for ages 12 to 13. This was a boys-only club that you, you, you got to think on this as a Ph.D. program. Like, this is the best of the best, the elite, and this is only for them. So very few students would ever make it this far. And what would happen is for the first few, when you would, when you would get to this point, you would find a rabbi that you agreed with their theology, you agreed with their teaching, you agreed with who they were, and you would go to them and you would say, I want to study under you. Now, this was a long school because it went from the age of 12 years old to the age of 30 years old. And at any point in time that you were in school, good thing there were no student loans, you didn't have to take out any debt. But if you went through this school at any point, the rabbi can go... Not good enough. You should go home and learn your father's trade and hope to have many sons that one day they can become a rabbi.
That would hurt, especially if you're 29 and a half. And they would, the rabbi would send them to this quiz and, and questioning everything. And if they could answer and say yes, then I want you to come and be my disciple, Talmud, Talmudin, which means student. And for the next few years, they would follow that rabbi and learn everything. If the rabbi would go in the bathroom, they would go in the bathroom. They would do everything that the rabbi would do. Because to follow means to follow Christ. That's where that comes from. There was a saying in the Jewish Mishnah that would say to be covered in the dust of the rabbi because they would see rabbis coming into the city and it would be dusty and their disciple would be right behind them just covered in dust. These were the best of the best. So here's what's interesting. At the age of 30, Jesus strolls up on the Galilean shores and says, come follow me. He is the only rabbi in Jewish culture to ever give himself the title rabbi. He didn't do everything else like everybody else did. So why were they willing to walk and leave their future at stake? Because they were told they were not good enough. You're not good enough to be a teacher of the scriptures. So go back, do whatever it is that your father does, have many kids and hope that one day they can become a rabbi. Can you imagine that day? Zebedee didn't start screaming at his boys, you better get back in this boat. No, Zebedee was in celebration because finally his boys were good enough. They were good enough. They were given this invitation, this personal invitation. They didn't have to go and ask. They were invited into this intimate relationship for these next three years that they're going to follow with Jesus until he's 33 hanging on a cross and they follow him because they go from not being good enough to God now restoring them and saying that you are good enough because of me. I chose you. You remember those pickup basketball games at recess? Some of y'all aren't as scarred. And they would pick the two captains and you would everybody else line up on the fence and they're just like, you, all right, you. And you're like, okay, um, I think I'm better. You, ever, you remember that? You would line up that one kid of thinking, he ain't that great, so I'm, I'm good. I can make the cut. And then you don't make it at recess and you have to have a pickup game, but then the bell rings and you don't get to play because you feel like you're not good enough. These disciples are finding they are. They've been picked. They've been handpicked by Jesus. These four disciples, all of their lives have been overlooked, but on this day, Jesus rewrites their future. And he tells James, and he tells John, and he tells Andrew, and he tells Peter, come follow me. Jesus always chooses the less than perfect people. That's good news. You should say amen right there. That's good news. He always gets the credit for the life change because of what he does. Their life change started with surrender. I'm going to give up everything that I have, trust you, and I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. And I'm sure other fishermen are like, these guys are dumb. What are they doing? They're giving up everything. They're walking away from everything. But who's laughing now? They got to spend the next three years of their life on this incredible journey with Jesus to where their environment changed and their roots like really dug down deep. And thank God they did because you and I are here today because they answered that call. How many people will be on the other side of eternity because you answered that personal call to follow him.
How many of you will be on that side of eternity because you've answered the personal call? My question to you this morning as we close is, what, what is God telling you? What is he calling you to? Because there's a personal invitation. Are you, are you willing to, to be discipled and to be a, dis, a disciple maker? Are you willing to get out of whatever environment that you're in that's hindering your growth? and put yourself in a place where you can grow? Are you willing to be obedient? Because delayed obedience is disobedience. So God is calling us to something greater, something better. So in these next few moments, I want you to just process this thought. That if you've counted yourself out, why? Because Jesus didn't. He doesn't make mistakes. You know that? He didn't make a mistake when he called you. He didn't make a mistake when he saved you. He's not going to make a mistake with the rest of your life. But we have to put our trust and surrender to him. Doing whatever it takes for the gospel is being willing to put ourselves in that environment to where we grow. So my prayer this morning for you is, is that there's some steps you need to take. And for some of you, you've never never accepted Christ. You never allowed Christ to save you. You never never prayed that prayer and said, Jesus, I want you to save me. I want you to be king and Lord of my life. That's the first part of surrender. The, The relationship with Jesus starts with surrender and humility of admitting that we're wrong. And if that's you this morning, we're going to pray a prayer in just a moment for you to, to accept Christ as Savior. And if you've done that, for the rest of you, I want you to pray this. God, what are you currently calling me to? What environment am I in? Is the environment I in, that I'm currently in, is that, that helping me grow? Are there some other areas that you're calling me to maybe move my life into? Be in a small group. Get into a disciple group. Start a disciple group. Are these the things that you want me to do? You want me to serve? By the way, serving, y'all, is one of the best places for you to be able to grow with other people, doing something like-minded. One of the, I think one of the greatest moments in the history of this church was a couple of weeks ago when these doors were wide open and there were people just flooding in here, fixing, building, tearing, whatever it took to get here. As great as it was to get in the building, it was being around people with a like-minded vision every day, rubbing shoulders with them, relationships being made. Sometimes serving is a place that you need to jump into to be conducive. So I want to pray for us and just ask God that he would show you. And if you've, if you've never accepted Christ, would you just pray this prayer in this morning? Father, I need you. I'm a sinner. And I admit that. I believe that you've died for me and that you rose again. And God, I confess my sin. Will you save me? And if you prayed that prayer this morning, in that moment, the Holy Spirit has entered into your life. You have been saved. Your name has been written in the book of life. And you've surrendered. And you have to take your next step of being into one of these groups. And God, I pray for those who've made that decision this morning, that they would come and find someone, talk to them, go back to our welcome desk, have a conversation, give them the boldness, God, that we can help them take their next steps. Father, I pray for every person in this room that you're calling us to something. And I pray that it's going to be difficult to be formed, but I pray that we would surrender. And even our prayer right now is, God, I surrender to you. Form me and make me into who you want me to be. 
And in these, this next few moments, these minutes, God, just shine bright. Bring conviction to our lives. Mold us into who you are. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.